This episode is proudly brought to you by Gimme Stitches, a local creative business that transforms what you love into an adorable stitch piece of art. Gimme Stitches makes bespoke images of the people you love into detailed handcrafted portraits you can pop on your wall. You can choose anything. Pets and families. Kids. Enemies. <laughs> Perfect. These beautifully handmade pieces are by the phenomenally talented Tilly and Greg, who are dedicated to bringing the old art of hand stitching back into your home. Good Sheila's listeners get 15% off bespoke hand stitched family portraits, pet portraits, enemy portraits, or our beloved Courtney Stodden <laughs> by entering Good Sheila's at checkout. What would you get a portrait of, Claire? Battlestar uh, Galactica. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Follow Gibby Stitches on Instagram and get amongst it. Fun fact about Claire, she loves really shit TV, like really shit TV, and she traps people in situations that they can't get out of, like a really long road trip or a birthing suite, for example, and she tells them the entire plot from go to woe. It's a form of torture, Claire. (laughs) You love the witch as a beast end. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe it, and I reckon... I reckon it was one of those times that you, you told me that where you were in a bit of a bad patch and I just, I couldn't say stop talking to me. So I just had to <laughs> let you tell me it. It's beautiful. Bullshit. Hello and welcome to Good Sheilas, the podcast that will turn your stomach and warm your heart as we reflect on what makes all of us tick. I'm Bron, a Melbourne comedian. And I'm Claire, a human rights lawyer. And we're longtime friends, short-time mums and lifetime dickheads. Each episode we tackle something in the media as well as something in life that's kicked us in the guts. So strap yourselves in, mongrels, and get ready for Good Sheilas. A remote hello and welcome to Lockdown the Second, brought to you by Metropolitan and some regional areas of Melbourne. Yes, us Victorians have become the laughing stock of Australia, and that doesn't sit well with us because we're usually the ones laughing. If I were wearing a bintang singlet, I would finally know what it felt like to be from Queensland. <laughs> so here we are, <laughs> far away from each other, but this time with an exceptional guest to make us look professional. Author, social impact entrepreneur, and bloody good Sheila, Jess Sanders. Hello, mate. How are you? Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks, Jess. Where um, are you right now? I have done um, something very brave. I've moved back with my parents temporarily. So Ooh. I am, they live on a bit of land though. So, you know, the plus side is that I have some nature around me, but I'm kind of, they built an Airbnb out here and I've locked myself in here for a bit of quiet time. Um, Sounds lovely. Yeah, so that's where I am at the moment. That's beautiful. I feel like you'd be jealous because I'm sitting in my car. Mm. (laughs) Don't worry, it is better. (laughs) It is in your driveway. I hope that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are, you guys. We are speaking very remotely. Jess is in buttfuck nowhere. Claire is in I don't know her hellhole of a house, and I'm sitting in my car. (laughs) Okay, Claire. Whatever you want to call it. 
So how, what about you, Claire? How's, how are you going? Have you braided your leg hairs yet? Have you joined another fad? And have you cleaned your rank carpet? Oh, thanks so much, mate. I'm trying to be different this lockdown. So last time it was Uber Eats and bottles of wine, but this time I'm, I'm really dedicated to changing. I'm buying Ooh. wine out of a cask. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> that so is both. It is economically very sensible. And now that you are a single mum, I think that that is an economically sensible decision. I think it's an important one. I'm fitting in. Good. So first on the news, let's do the news first. Everything's pretty fucked, yeah? Yeah. Again. Okay. But we've got some daily uh, daily cases in the triple digits and anxiety is sky high. Uh, what are you observing in the way that our community is, how are you, I'll start again. How are you observing the community is reacting, Jess? What do you reckon's going on? How is the general vibe? The general vibe? Well, because I'm in the middle of fucking nowhere, I'm not seeing that many people, (laughs) but um, the vibe from when I went to the Fruiters and the lady that got really aggressive about mask wearing is that like masks have become very political for some reason. Um, Cannot wrap my head around why cannot wrap my head away but um yeah there's kind of like a sort of reflective of politics I guess but it's an us first their mentality and like you're either wearing a mask or you're like not a mask wearer um yeah so that tells me that people are very fearful um Mm. I was trying to sort of psychoanalyze the non-mask wearers or like why they feel so strongly against it and I feel like it's probably that anxiety thing that if you're wearing a mask you're just making the threat very apparent the kind of the invisible threat Mm. of corona is is here and um, the feedback people are kind of saying is, oh, like, it's not that bad. You don't need to wear a mask. So it's kind of like yeah. tone it down so that I'm not so scared or something. Um, yeah. But the that's boomers are thing. so good at denial, right? It's, it's just the boomers. Mm. Everything is fine. Don't look here. We don't need masks. We don't need reform to our democracy. Mm-hmm. Everything is fine. Well, mm-hmm. It was at the start. The media at the start was saying, don't wear a mask. It's like that actually spreads. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. They're like, don't wear it. So everyone was saying, don't wear masks. And you idiots. And everyone was kind of mocking the people wearing masks. And now we have like Deborah Messing and Britney Spears and all of these celebrities going, they've got a hashtag, wear a damn mask. Mm. And so the, everyone who's on their social media 24-7 now, because what else is there to do apart from raise kids and who wants to do that, <laughs> is, is like you just look, look at, we're just eating up what America's doing. And America is in, like, well, not that we're in a great spot, but America's, like, definitely sinking into the ocean right now. Uh, and their, and their like, saviour is, um, they think it's going to be the masks. And so I think we're kind of feeding off that a bit. And you're totally right. I have noticed the mask thing being a bit, like, contentious. And it is, it rather than being like, oh, that's your decision and this is my decision, everyone is out to blame everyone for something. Yeah. And the masks is a really great tool of doing that. It's yes, like we need somewhere to put our anxiety and our anger. And it's like if, if somebody else is there and they're different, it's just like classic human behaviour. We're putting it there, right? It's, I went to yeah. Kmart yesterday to get away from my children. and um, Oh, la la. Here she goes, just <laughs> flashing the cash. <laughs> I bought a chest of drawers for $49. And, um, oh, and, I, and I was really nervous because there was, there was maybe a third of the people were wearing masks in there and everybody else wasn't. And there were old people, like elderly people and I was looking at it going you were so vulnerable and they weren't wearing one and I don't know if it's if it's bad comms or if it's an active you know 
of social, what's the word when you don't want to do something? Uh, protest, that's it. Um, and it was, yeah, I, I, I left really nervous because I was like, there are so many people who don't take this seriously. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, at yeah, the mask thing is, it, it is really tricky. And I, I, like, I do hope Melbourne gets back on its feet. Um, even if it's with masks, great. If it's moving out to Jess's farm, also great. <laughs> My mum to Jess. <laughs> yeah, my mum said something to me the other day. She was like, Jess, just find a nice man and run for the hills. I was like, all right, mum. I thought we were already in the hills, but <laughs> thank you for that advice. She's like, I can get run out of myself. here, go to Tasmania, live off the grid. Like, <laughs> You're not allowed to. We're, not, we're stuck here. We're stuck here. Oh, look, it oh, sounds gosh. tempting. Yeah, except for the man bit. How boring. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Get rid of that bit. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want that. So it is mostly pretty shitty out there, but I have been looking in the news for some stuff to make me laugh because that's my coping mechanism. And, you guys, I found it. Um, a couple of days ago the news reported that a, there was a party in a, in a Melbourne suburb and it was broken up when the, cob, when the cops found them and there was a bunch of people hiding in their backyard. Um, but how did they get busted? It's because one of the idiot guests ordered 16 meals from KFC. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that just like so a moment good. of like, maybe we deserve this? I was really hungry, mate. It's called, <laughs> it's, it's called self-care, okay? But what, what would you say about these behaviours, Jess? Like I, I tend to eat my anxious feelings and I drink them and sometimes I don't get out of bed with them. I mean, is that okay mm. when the stakes are so high right now? Oh, yeah, look, I think it's just about doing your best. So if your best is like, I need to eat some food right now to relieve these feelings of anxiety, then that's absolutely fine. I think, I don't know, I think we're all just doing our best and I think we need to be honest with ourselves about like what our best is because I know I have a tendency sometimes to be like, oh my God, I'm just going to sink lower into this kind of wallow in my shitty feelings and not do the good thing that I know I need to do, which is like probably get outside and get some oxygen or something. So I've been trying to practice, particularly this time around, just, you know, being kind to myself, but just doing what I can and being okay with whatever that is. I don't know. Mm. Sort of, mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, know, just, but, well, that's really interesting because I, uh, we, you know, again, when I, we, cause we're all on social media too much at the moment, I feel as the social media has so much like people doing home workouts or people like posting, you know, something that they're doing that is, you know, making themselves feel better. And that feels pretty ordinary to look at when you're like, actually, I just, I just ate a whole loaf of bread and I don't even <laughs> like bread. What have I done? You know? Yes. Yes. Um, so I think that message of like, just do whatever is your best that day is like a really important message that we're not really getting. Yeah. Mm. Like we don't, you don't have to write the next, you know, great Australian novel. You don't have to you know, create a award-winning podcast. Here's a little little hint to all the award givers out there. <laughs> <laughs> I entered last lockdown being so aspirational. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get really fit and I'm going to, you know, save my marriage. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And I'm going to, you know, do all these really productive things. And, and at, at the end of it, I felt so deflated because I didn't do that. And what I actually did was just allow myself to feel. And this time around, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to be gentle and kind. And this is really tough and just do enough. And, and that's okay. Mm. Mm. 
Absolutely, because it's not it's not a holiday. Like people are like, oh, okay, we're like home and it's so relaxing and let's do all these nice things. Like the world is feels like it's ending. <laughs> like there's all, there's all this anxiety. It's a um, there's all this grief for what could have been. Um, there's a lack of social connection. Like this isn't you know we're not dealing with like a normal experience. So it doesn't mean that we can do the normal things that we'd like to do if we were feeling you know baseline. But right now it's kind of got to respond to everything that's being chucked at us with with self-care or whatever it is that works for you but I think that's just capitalism it's like now we have free time let's just consume more do more become perfect versions of ourselves um and it just sets us up to fail um but it's very tempting I I navigate it as well I'm just like all right okay cool got some time I'm not commuting now so I'm gonna write like three more books it's like no no you're not yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Let's be honest, Jess. You probably out. will, because you're extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I saw your book no, in Kmart yesterday. Oh yeah, I love that it's in Kmart. It's my favorite thing. I'm just like swandling. You made it. Also, I love I love Kmart. It's my guilty pleasure. Um, <laughs> buying very unethical things. Um, yeah, but no, just. <laughs> My favourite bit of news this week I have to share with you ladies because it is so frivolous and it's so excellent and I have been busting to talk about it for my whole life since yesterday. So Demi Moore (laughs) was on a live stream in her toilet because of course you're in your toilet, Bronwyn goes to the toilet in her car. And um, Demi, <laughs> Demi, I'm Demi Moore, that's why. Demi Moore has carpet around her toilet. Carpet. Oh, <laughs> oh that is so yeah. young. Thoughts. What are your thoughts? Well, Claire, oh. if you decided to make your new fad carpet around your toilet, I'd order 16 meals of KFC to your house and call the police. <laughs> <laughs> You would never clean it. It would be so rank. <laughs> what would? You, what do you reckon, Jess? What do you think about carpet and toilets? Oh, that's just disgusting. I have no other <laughs> words, and I'm just trying to figure out why anyone actually cleans it. Thought that was a good idea. Like, I'm like, is she getting it replaced regularly? Like, is it just like? Because obviously she's got a lot of money, so that's. I, I just no. Actually, no. That just boggles the mind. I have no idea. That's yeah, to- totally. But it is. It was news that we needed to see because if you're ever thinking about, like, you ever think I've really not done very well today, all you need to think <laughs> is, wait, there are toilets. To- oh, sorry, tiles in my toilet. I'm all right. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. So, Jess, let's let's talk a bit more about you because um, we want to introduce you a little bit f- more for our lovely listeners. So, Jess is an author and a social worker dedicated to supporting mental health and promoting gender equality. Her phenomenally sex- successful books have been sold in 25 different countries and the wonderful Love Your Body, which we both own and read to our girls, was the mm-hmm. first kids' book to feature cellulite and stretch marks. Hallelujah. Her Yay. second book, Me Time, taught young people how important it is to be kind to themselves and become their own best mate. Jess is also the founder of Reshape, a social enterprise dedicated to building positive body image in young people. She's been on the news, she's been on the radio, and now she's finally made it to the big time. She's on Good Sheerlets. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, what, let's, what made you transition to being like, fuck it, I'm going to write an amazing book? Um... It was, I think, 
just to give context, probably two weeks prior, I think it's important um, because I think that like what we think is possible is really dictated by, um, I guess, the sense of identity that we have of ourselves. So two weeks prior to that, I kind of always identified as being a photographer, actually. Like that's what I studied. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was like, that's, I'm the arty girl. I do, I take photos, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't bringing me joy for a couple of years and I was holding on to it. And so Two weeks before I'd been like, I am just closing that door and I'm just going to open up my mind to whatever it is I want to do next. I really don't know, but I'm just going to give myself permission to not know. So I said goodbye to that identity, um, like not announced or anything. It was just mentally I was like, I'm going to shut the door. And then, yeah, two weeks later around the little dining room table with my best friend and housemate um, ranting about news articles we often would do, but this one was about the increase in labiaplasties amongst young women, like under 18. Yeah. Which and to, to be clear, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Please laughs> so clear to be clear up. what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's basically yeah, surgery on your labia, cosmetic surgery. So basically, it's just tucking everything away so no one's offended or whatever. Um, basically, driven by um, representations of women's women's vulvas on porn. So um, they've yeah. It's basically just like they'll often have that surgery. Um, and so young women are looking at porn because that's probably where they get most of their sex education. And they're like, oh, why well, my vagina doesn't look like that. My vulva doesn't look like that. So I'm going to go get an incredibly expensive and dangerous, invasive and unnecessary surgery. Mm. Um, and I think something in me just snapped. I'd been studying gender for the last year and I don't know if anyone's ever studied gender or if you just sort of look more deeply into the construct of gender you just as a woman in particular you get more and more angry so I was just at like mega angry levels and needed somewhere to like channel that frustration um into so you wrote someone, a kid's book pretty much yeah <laughs> to be clear originally it was just going to be a book of vulvas um oh wow and amazing I, which Already existed, so I went and did something else. But um, I'm glad it does. It's called the Vulva Diaries or something. This amazing uh, chick in Germany paints them. Oh, anyway, doesn't Mona, um, doesn't Mona have something like this? Yes, she. Um, yeah. Mona. She. I'm gonna just. She, <laughs> Mona is beast. a gallery, um, but also a female. I've decided. Um, <laughs> Mona is a woman, sense. and so is God. Just yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, Mona has that uh, wall, which it's just um, plastered vulvas, just like kind of uh, long ways on this whole wall. And um, I really enjoyed when I was there watching older people get up really close and be like, what is this that I'm looking at? And oh, then so just good. like run away in horror when they realize. <laughs> it's so good. Suck shit, boomers. That's a wall of fannies, you idiots. <laughs> yeah. So good. Um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it turned into a, a quite a, di- a semi, it's a different children's book, but I realised when I looked into it more that um, there wasn't even the basics that were covered when it came to body mm. image and, and young girls. Like I, I went looking for resources. I thought, yeah, yeah, my, a book's a good idea. Let's do a book and what's out there. And I realised that all the diaries was already out there, but I also realised that there was just this huge like gap in the market, I guess, in terms of books. Um, there wasn't anything for young women around diversity and representations of, um, yeah, things like cellulite and stretch marks that are completely um, normal but just weren't depicted and weren't spoken about. And mm-hmm. I thought oh, I really could have used a book like that growing up. Uh, and oh, I spent a, yeah. Totally, <laughs> I said, totally. Totally, yeah. It's just – it is the book I needed. And I spent so many years – 
um, sort of once I got out of high school and out of that very narrow-minded, I guess, peer space, unlearning all these toxic messages I've been taught about beauty and my body and most especially my worth and how my worth was supposedly attached to all those things. Um, and so I, yeah, sort of peeling back those layers, unlearning those messages, um, and kind of fixing my relationship with my body. Oh, and that was also thanks to some really amazing, um, this is like the one time Instagram is really great, um, sort of like body positive influencers who are just really showing parts of their bodies that I just had never seen represented on any form of media or um, social media. So that was really amazing. So yeah, I unlearned all these messages, um, saved my brain a lot of time and space and real estate because it was really occupying a lot. Um, yeah, and then I thought that's so unfair that young girls have to go through this shit. I yeah, hate still. that. I hate that idea. Yeah, and still. How, how old were you when you had this epiphany of I'm going to write this book for young girls? Um, I think 24. That's so, like, this is amazing. Wow. I reckon I was still, I was still working out what stretch marks were when I was 24, let alone how can I teach someone what they were. So I think that is, so how old are you now, Jess? Um, I'm turning 27 in a few weeks. Oh, I, do you know, do you know why I wish you said then? Cause little kids say this, um, how old are you? And they say, I'm four, I'm turning five. It's like, well, what else are you turning? <laughs> so I really wish you said I'm 26 turning 27. So next time, just to make cute. me feel better. I'm 26, I'm 26 and three quarters, so close to being 27, <laughs> count down the days. But you are 27, which is like, it is amazingly young and you, you're so articulate and I won't give you any more compliments, but 24 is a fascinating age to, to like have like not even the initiative to do something like that, but I guess the, the insight to be like, I see the problem and I actually have finding a way to um, create a solution where it's not like I'm going to speak to... 18 year olds because 18 mm. like 24 and 18 that's a kind of like you can remember being 18 quite vividly at that stage and being like I wish I had this message then but what you've done which is incredible is gone you know the problem doesn't start at 18 it starts much younger mm. it starts when you know their bodies start to change or even before their bodies start to change when they see images out there or when they see someone who looks different or when they look a bit different and be like no one looks like me and I'm not in any books and no one and if I am in a book I'm like the token you know girl in a wheelchair or I'm a token girl with like mm. heaps of fresh or I'm a token chubby girl and I'm not normalised in any way. I am probably teased for that or someone is standing up for me or, you know, they are a prop. They're not the main girl. They're not the celebrated girl in that, in, in that way. And what you've done, and I totally encourage everyone who's listening to go buy the book, Love Your Body, it, is, it makes all of these girls who are growing up and all these different body shapes uh, and different points of diversity, it's celebrating them and being like yeah. no this is actually the best like some of the best parts about you which and I would I, never have read as a little kid and what I really love about the book Jess is that you know it's a, a lot of these narratives just embed this idea about beauty like it's like you're beautiful you're so beautiful and you're so pretty and it's kind of pivots away from that idea to seeing your body as you know part of you and a really critical part of like how you behave in the community and how you you know achieve your goals but it's, it's more about what it can do and I think that 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 kind of transition from that focus even though it's a positive focus you know on on, on what little girls look like it, it's it's looking at it the issue from a completely different perspective and, 
and that's that's really really powerful because I think a lot of parents when they talk to their children when they're trying to lift them up defer to that and I catch myself doing it all the time you know complimenting my girls on what they look like because that's what I've been socialized to do but actually that mm. very act in itself is is harmful because you're saying that is a really important part of who, how I see you and how everybody else sees you but you know t- talking about and praising them for being strong or you know being brave or you know that all these incredible things that their bodies are a tool to achieve like how, how did you how did you kind of pivot to that way of thinking yourself what was the point for you um I think that the reason I was I guess able to access that perspective and that knowledge was um and at that early age as you said um was because I it was honestly through Instagram so there was a there's a um, two women who run this thing called Beauty Redefined, um, sort of like an enterprise, I guess. And they did a TED talk that I listened to when I was researching for the book um, to sort of find the most effective way to speak about bodies. And they found that that was a body functionality approach. So just talking about, and it's just, it was very simple, but it was like, your body's not here to be looked at. Like your body's here to do things. We have a body for a reason. We have a body to experience all these beautiful things that life has to offer us. Um, it's not an object for consumption. And it can, and, and I'm not saying that it's not beautiful and shouldn't be admired, but I think we forget what we actually have bodies for because of this mm. alternate messaging about refining and shaping the body and working on the body as opposed to with the body. So um, those women really shifted my perspective yeah, early on and it helped me uh, reshape my own relationship to my body. And like when I, I did a lot of traveling when I was younger and um, climbed a few mountains and that kind of relationship to my body where I was like, oh my God, why am I so worried about the size of my legs or the cellulite of my legs and these legs got me up a mountain? Just mm. felt that that was <laughs> kind of crazy um, and my values were all twisted, but you know, it's not our fault. That's um, what we grow up, as you said, Claire, to be socialized um, to feel and believe. But um, yeah, it was, it was just in the research and, and that's, there's actually been a lot of research done around girls and body image and that's just the most effective way to nurture a positive body image is to look at it from a functionality perspective. So okay. I'm grateful because my body can do all these amazing things. Um, yeah, so that's kind um, of why I came from that angle. So our um, girls are oh. sorry, Bon. <laughs> <That's girls, okay. laughs> this, this is the joy of recording remotely. We talk over each other. Um, <laughs> so I, our girls are, you know, that we've got two six-year-olds um, and we're both watching them grow up. And this is a really critical stage because they're starting to navigate how other children interact with themselves and and model and mimic their behaviors and it's really interesting for me because I've realized that I suddenly am not the loudest or most important voice in Stevie's life it's it's the little Mm. children around me and while she's still really you know she doesn't care about like what her body looks like she'll she'll happily take off all her clothes and run around you know she's um I'm I'm watching as her friends start to navigate you know for example they've picked up that the word fat has a negative connotation like and they, they and know skinny. that now yeah and skinny is a good mm. thing like uh, but I, I think Steve is just on the precipice of starting to apply it to her own body Olive uh, uh, how's Olive going bro yeah well she's like uh, she is noticing it um she's she's pretty like shy about talking to me about it because she knows that I will just like lose my mind uh um so I, I know she's mentioned the word fat, not necessarily about herself, but as it being a bad thing. And I was like, well, and I'm like, I don't know the language around that. Cause I remember 
when I was little saying something about me being fat to my aunties and my mum and they all just roared laughing and, you know, I carried on. No, they weren't laughing at me. They were just laughing at they were funny. It was, you know, funny, a little kid finally realising that. And that was, you know, in the 1960s. So times have changed a bit. <laughs> but, but it, like, now I feel like kids, kids are... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's, they, they, they know there's going to be a different conversation about it and I think that it would be quite embarrassing for Olive for me to have that conversation with her. But I'm, I'm terrified of it. Like I'm so scared that she's going to think her tiny little strong body is anything but incredible. But I don't know, I don't know how to do – I don't know how to make sure she does that when she now goes to school for – well, sometimes if coronavirus ever goes away – She'll go back to school where she's at school for six hours a day around kids that I can't control what they say or what she hears. And mm. I don't know, I, I can't, like, you know, there's only, there's only so much control I have over it and it's terrifying to put her into the world where I know the world's going to say this is what looks good and this is what is good and this is what is bad. And I think it's particularly terrifying when we, you know, you and I have both in very different ways hated our own bodies and, and as, as you said so beautifully before, Jess, you know, wasted all that brain space on mm. kind of fixating on them and trying to change them. And we, we know how, A, harmful and B, what a waste of time that was for both of us and we just don't want our children to have that same experience. So, so much of it is, you know, projection of our own experience onto that and so it makes it this really emotional space where we can't actually just be, you know, the objective parents that we need to be in this situation. What, what, what do you reckon, Jess? How should we, you know, like building on what you've, you've done with your work and your book, how should we be having these conversations with our little girls when they start to use words like fat as a, as a weapon? Yeah, I, I, I really empathise, not that I have a child, but I just think it's so scary, the, the concept of bringing yeah, a little life into this world and trying to protect them from the shit parts of it um, mm. and mm. not let it sort of seep into their lovely, open-minded, curious brains. Um, but unfortunately, like, change doesn't happen super quickly, so they will grow up into a world where we're probably still really valuing women's bodies for how they look and valuing thinness. So I think in the way that is age-appropriate, we have to kind of give them the tools to see through it. I think that's sort of the only way. So um, the foundational tools when they're young would be exactly what you were saying, Claire, like looking at their bodies for what they do and, and talking about their abilities and moving away from appearance-based compliments. So I kind yeah. of recommend where you can like a 9 to 10 like ratio, so like 9 to 1, sorry. Um, so like nine sort of appearance or ability based or personality based comments and then like maybe one appearance based because if you think about the ratio of what you value in your child you know I think that's pretty fair because there's they've just there's so many beautiful things that they have to offer that you value far beyond what they look like yet the first compliment that will often come out of our mouths because of socialization is an appearance based compliment but to a child you think I'm going to shape myself to where I'm rewarded I am going you know that that's just Mm. what we do yeah. Because we want to be accepted by the wide society, the culture, the family. We want to be loved. So if we are valued and rewarded for what we look like, we will put more emphasis on that. But if we are rewarded for our personalities and our abilities, and we, they're really strong protective factors to get away from a poor body image. So that's sort of the first thing. I think like building up that. And then having frank conversations around fat and being like, fat isn't bad. We all have fat in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... You know, you might hear kids using it as bad language or as an insult, but the truth is it's not. And some people are a bit confused about that. 
Um, but like, you know, just those fundamental truths, helping them understand. It's the same with like gender expectations. You might be like, yeah, that family might think that girls are meant to be pretty and boys are meant to play strong or whatever. Mm. But um, that's not what happens in our family. And that's also not true. Like, this is what's true. And they're going to listen to you about what's true ultimately, like that value system and setting those foundations. But I think parents are afraid to have the conversation until it comes up, but it probably has been um, festering away in their brains if it, when it finally comes up. Um, uh. And that's, yeah, that's why I um, wrote the book so early, early. So sort of like eight to 12, but really six is fine as well. Um, sort of six to 12, because, um, you know, if a child has come, or if a teenager's even coming to you saying, I've got, really poor body image that that has been festering away and building for a long time because it's surrounded by shame um so I think sort of just opening it up or at least creating space for those conversations as early as you can I I think is good obviously age appropriate and each child Look, yeah, because some things, some things in um, your book, Love Your Body, I knew I was like, oh, this is too big for Olive. But now that I'm, she's already have. I, I thought she'd ne- not talk about her body at all, not for years like that. But she is. So I, I, I underestimated how powerful the world was to get to my tiny baby. Mm. And so I think yeah. that whilst there's parts of your book that were too big for a six year old, um, that there's some parts which were perfect. Um, and the the older she gets, like the book is going to be valuable in my house for so long um, because it's not it's not just aimed at five five year olds or six year olds or something like that. It's aimed at, you know. Such a wide range of girls navigating what it is, but it isn't just girls that we wanted to talk to you about because we understand that girls, like whilst there is a huge problem that girls face with the world, you know, weighing down them, it's also toxic masculinity, isn't it, for the poor mm. little boys? Yeah, I think um, people often ask me why I didn't include um, male characters in Love Your Body. And it's because kind of I explained to you guys, um, it was coming from this very like feminist kind of place and this frustration of um, what a girl's experience in the world was and what was holding them back from achieving their full potential. So Mm. when I went to write a book for those that are identifying as a boy, I was thinking about what is, you know, weighing them down, what is stopping them from being their true self. I think that's a theme that's really big in my book as well is about kids just being free to be themselves without shame and just self-expression and creativity, all the things. So I was like, what's stopping them from doing that? And it's pretty clearly a very narrow definition of what it means to be male in Australia, but in the world. Um, And they are sort of confined to what you might call the man box or, um, you know, this stereotype so much more fiercely than girls are confined. So their experiences are different and the ways that they're kind of, yeah, held back are different and they definitely have a negative they can have a negative body image too. Um, and stats are saying that that's only rising as we see more perfected images of men in the media that we hadn't seen before. I think that's um, becoming more and more apparent. So, yeah, they have their own struggles, but I wanted to write a book for them with their experience in mind and to tackle, um, yeah, a gendered issue, which is, um, I guess, I don't love the, f- the phrase toxic masculinity because I think it's confusing, but... Um, and we can go into that more later, why I think it's confusing. But I think, yeah, this definition of what it means to be a boy and a man. So the book is called Be Your Own Man because I realise that boys are either encouraged to or just so often um, moulding themselves after men 
and even like from babies when we call babies oh like, like little man like we never call yeah. a female baby a little woman but it's all yeah, <laughs> that's you're weird right. it's weird <laughs> yeah um but this you know it's this idea of man up you know when they're a boy and they're crying it's um it's about you know leave behind any feminine trace of yourself and that includes childhood yeah. and man up and it's so harmful I um yeah it's really sad that they're kind of encouraged um to sever any feminine part of themselves from a really early age um, so true and do you know I was watching a movie the other day and uh, and I still hear this phrase today so when I heard it on this like olden days movie I was like oh my gosh we still say that and it's when you know say for example as a family uh, and there's a mother a father a young boy and a young girl and the father leaves or dies and then people often say to this young boy who could be like seven you're the man mm. of the house now. It's, oh, yeah. I, it's yes. I, I always find that so strange. It's like, what do they say to the girl? Like, you're still, you're still a child. You're fine, mate. But you have just, for some reason, had to grow up so huge because the powerful man of the house isn't there. So now you have to feel that. So it's, yeah. it, we constantly steal little boys' childhoods away from them. Yeah, yeah. And I had a, I had a mum say that to me once. Like she came up to me after a talk and she's like, um, she's like, one, don't be weird. My husband died. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so she's <laughs> oh, like, oh, stop. Okay. Because she's sick of being patronised, I think. You know, like, yeah, okay. oh, I'm so sorry. She's yeah. like, I, yep, my husband died. But everyone is telling my four-year-old son that he's going to have to be the man of the house now. He's going to have to man up. <gasps> Four? Four. Oh and she's God. like, one, I am the parent here, the mother carrying this family, okay? And two, don't, how dare you put this pressure on my child? But that is um, the narrative, the story, um, just even the saying that is programmed into us because we've heard it so many times. Yeah. And so when we see a little boy and we know that they've lost, yeah, he's lost a dad, well, that's what comes out of people's mouths. I don't think they think about it too much, to be honest. I think it's like yeah. this really programmed script that we have. Um, that comes out but it's yeah it's just an unfair amount of pressure and um, yeah I think I I was listening to I really love David Lesser who's like an author and he wrote um, Women Men the Whole Damn Thing and he said it's it all comes down to when we talk about toxic masculinity and um, just yeah the yeah toxic masculinity basically Um, it's it's about the attack on the feminine so it's just it's about getting rid of any trace of feminine and so, you know, when a boy can be – the worst thing a little boy can be called is a girl. It's like, yeah. what are we teaching them about girls? What are we teaching yeah. them about femininity? It's lesser than. than they're not as um, – on the hierarchy, they are lesser than to the boy. And so that, that, that idea is entrenched, as you know, Claire, in family violence. It's yeah, like absolutely. that's where it comes from. <laughs> um, it has that, that longitudinal impact as well, like from, from tiny little boys being moulded and shaped this way. It's, it's, it's impacting their mental health. And mm-hmm. and that that is that is a really important thing that we we wanted to focus on today. Um, research by the Black Dog Institute shows that suicide is actually the leading cause of deaths for young people, and a disproportionate number of those deaths are young boys. Forty mm-hmm. percent of uh, Year Twelve kids report high symptoms of depression and anxiety, and these are particularly underdetected in young boys and young men. Beyond Blue reports that one in seven young men aged between 16 and 24 experience clinical levels of depression or anxiety each year. But do they talk about it? 
I know when I was teaching, there was a few posters around the school about boys and their feelings and often you'd hear boys scoffing at it or kind of like giggling or, you know, drawing a dick on it or something. So it's a known, but it's a known problem. So the posters are being made, uh, but these blokes are still really struggling. And, and, and they're scared. They're scared of looking weak. Yeah. So they like they, they go as far as to try and like um, hyper be hyper-masculine by literally drawing a dick on the poster that is saying you have feelings and it's okay they're like no i don't i have a dick it's <laughs> really troubling and a yeah. growing and powerful body of evidence identifies that these very behaviors and are a key driver of poor mental health in young men who are socialized to believe as you're talking about bron it's not okay to express or discuss your emotions if you're a boy or a man mm. Mm. yeah so yeah huge. yeah so jess what is positive mos- masculinity um, honestly, I don't exactly know because I, so I sat down actually in this little hut cottage a while ago and I wrote a list of what I thought were masculine and feminine traits. And cause I was looking online to find this like definitive list and I couldn't find one because I really wanted to, for children, break it down because it's writing a school presentation. And, um, what I realized was that like, when we talk about toxic masculinity, men inherently think that masculinity is toxic um Mm. and and that's a really big problem for the movement and so I'm sort of trying to bring it back to um you know what does it mean to be a healthy male or to be non-toxic um and that would be to really lean into femininity so when we say positive masculinity it sort of implies that um femininity is not a part of that but really the biggest part missing is the femininity part and that's humanness (laughs) like that's like vulnerability asking for how being sensitive and kind and empathetic are important and valuable human traits not something that um any human can sort of thrive by cutting out of themselves and they're not exclusively for women they're they're for humans um so when we yeah I think people think femininity is all female masculinity is all male but each one of us is made up of a combo and I think the phrases themselves are kind of useless because I've been trying to write down them down I can't like I couldn't find a definitive list so um yeah I think that does that make sense I don't know it's it's, it's really it's actually really powerful because I think you know, you look at the backlash in the community to this concept of toxic masculinity and it's really strong, particularly for some men's groups. And um, they, 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 their, their pushback is that, you know, we, you're trying to define and articulate us in the same way that we, we have trouble with, with... You have trouble with us defining articulating you. And while I don't agree with a lot of the ways they push the narrative at the core... It, it, it makes perfect sense. We should be valuing and uplifting and encouraging positive human behaviour. Mm, exactly. And sort of uh, like women can have toxic masculinity within them too. So it's kind of confusing, like toxicity and toxic behaviour, emotional abuse isn't, whilst it's mostly men, it isn't exclusive. And so again, when we use the phrases masculine and feminine, we think that we can kind of divide them up. So I think it yeah. should just be like, what's unhealthy behaviour and and what's healthy behavior and why do we think men are engaging more in, or men are engaging more in toxic behaviors because they've severed that feminine part of themselves they don't know how to ask for help they don't know how to process and express their emotions um as you guys were referring to those stats before i thought about um my friend ben who i dedicated the book to and we lost him when he was just turned 18 in year 12 and he took his own life and 
his yeah his passing has really has really shaped my life because I I think about him all the time and I'm just like why didn't he feel he could ask for help and he was made to feel in high school I remember he was made to feel dumb um and he was kind of yeah, he was. He sort of lent into the hyper masculine. He embodied it literally. So when it comes to boys' body image, like he really went to the gym and had all the muscles and all these things, like a, I guess kind of like a coat of armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, he wasn't able to tell us about how he's feeling. I don't think we had any idea. So and and just honestly, six months ago, the same thing happened to one of my little sister's friends. Um, another <laughs> male took his own life. Um, in in that year, actually, at school we had a cluster. I think there was almost seven young people that took their lives um so it's it it it, asking for help is it's not feminine that's again a human but if boys think that they're weak and lesser than for doing that like that's a huge problem so in be your own man in the book there's a real emphasis on putting your hand up for help and how i guess trying to rebrand it as being brave and courageous and important rather than a weakness it's it's so messed up when you kind of pick it apart yeah. like that yeah <laughs> just oh but that's God. what boys have grown up believing and it's because of all the messages out there and it's because of those phrases that we tell them and um yeah and it's also like boys need to be creating safer spaces amongst each other because they are the greatest polices of that behavior that man box they will police it in each other um they will shut down or shame any feminine expression um so it also starts within the little groups of boys at school and that's something i brought into the book too about creating a safe space where everyone feels free to be themselves to ask for help to express their emotions i put together like an illustration where i wanted a group of boys huddling around one other boy that was crying and they were kind of hugging him and then there was another boy that was quite moved by that and was also crying and seeing it made me cry because I was like, I've never, I've never seen that before. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. they illustrated it, I was like, oh my God. Because it's like, yeah, you can't be what you can't see. So if boys can't see that, well then how possibly they're going to feel safe to, yeah, support one another when they're crying and lift each other up and stuff. Yeah. So and what so- would you say the best thing that we, we like to, for for people to practically do would it be for schools to start implementing some kind of group where there is a safe space for boys to express their feelings I'm just trying to find you know we can talk about this all the time and like we we are not um we're not the people who are going around and saying you fight like a girl or you cry you're crying and that's whatever but it it is reaching out to the the places where probably boys need a bit of help so schools Mm. and also the family you know just family dinner dinner table places where we can actually proactively impact these these boys who are struggling with this concept so what would be your advice to either families or schools right now that have these boys in in reach I think in schools, I think every school should have either the man cave or tomorrow man come and visit their school. So they're two amazing programs run um, for young boys, I think in high school at the moment. Um, and it, it, it cre- they do exactly that. They create that safe space. They break down barriers and um, they're important role models too because they're all younger men who run and facilitate those workshops. So that's something that schools can do that would be incredibly powerful. Mm. Um 
yeah, just even one session. And they also do sessions with teachers as well, so to help them understand, I guess, the needs of and how they can change the, the classroom culture. Um, because the bigger overarching thing is that the culture needs to change, obviously, as well. And I think we talk a lot about toxic masculinity and all the ways that men can be toxic, but I just don't see enough conversations about what we can productively do. Um, That's right. I find that really, as, as you said, Ron, like, really frustrating. So amongst each other like individually I think we can um, just start these curious and open conversations I think when I was younger and I was had my male friend say something really um, that I thought was toxic I thought the appropriate way to respond was by shaming them and that only pushed them further into their shell felt like they couldn't you know open up and talk Um, so I think an openness and a curiosity as hard as it may be sometimes um, is really important when you're talking to other men about this stuff because I think we have to understand that they feel they don't know how to identify their current kind of identity that's been largely accepted for a long time is also now under threat in terms of we're breaking it down. And then we also don't really know what does healthy and positive masculinity look like. That's not easily defined either. So just having conversations, um, asking people, yeah, if they need help talking about feelings. I think the most powerful way between men or boys as well is being that person that says, hey, like I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling mm. crushed by the pressures of being a man. And if you can be strong enough to do that in that space, you give everyone else permission to. And if you're going to show up and be really honestly vulnerable and truthful, I have no doubt I think the other men in that space will follow suit. So sometimes it's about that first person sort of breaking the, um, yeah, I guess the mould or the dominant narrative that's discussed in bro culture, men's groups mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and when it comes to our young boys, which is where the book is focused on the similar age group as Love Your Body, so 8 to 12, but you could go a little younger, 6 Um, with a parent assisting um, is to just show them all the ways that there are to be a boy and have that conversation that and that's what the book does it just basically says you can be anything you can be everything be your own kind of boy be your own man um, and ask for help and here's practical ways to express and release you know difficult emotions Mm. Um, there's like lines at the end where they can call and um, if they're yeah, it's sort of everything's kind of in it. I kind of just tried to squeeze as much as I could into one book. But, um, yeah, I think just let give them the space and give them the tools and have the conversation because we sometimes think as adults if we introduce the conversation that we're introducing the concept. So if we talk about a negative body image, we introduce a problem. Um, but that's really not what we do. We just actually prepare a young person and we give them the tools to navigate what is a really complex world so when it comes to young boys I think just having that conversation with them um, I'm at the moment wanting to put together a video and if there's any mothers of boys out there that want to get in touch or dads of boys let me know um, because I want to ask boys what they think it means to be a band and then I want them to read the book and then I want them to answer the question again afterwards Um, because I think that's going to be a really powerful demonstration yeah. of how early these boys have internalised what it means to be a man. I went into a school once and I gave them like a sheet and a piece of paper and I said on one side draw a man on one side draw a woman and then write words around them that you associate with them. And, um, you know, there were – it was about 40 kids and um, it was pretty alarming, the stereotypes that were coming out and four of the boys had written for the man pushes down emotions. Oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Gosh. How um, old That was grade five to six. Jeez. But, oh, so but <laughs> honestly, you'll get that earlier though. Like that, that was the older end of the spectrum for me in terms of where I look for preventative education. So I think it's often, a, we, if we ask the question, all will be revealed. If you say, what do you think it means to be a man? Like they're going to have their own ideas and you're probably like, where did that come from? 
it's really I think it's coming from I mean I think about the men in my life and most of them they don't they don't have kind of healthy conversations about their emotions because they've never learned learned to right you know mm. and they, like as much as they might you know identify as feminists and and want to raise you know children who have like healthy emotional kind of understandings of themselves and healthy emotional relationships with other people they can't model that behavior because they've never learned how to do it and yes. like so so many you know again so many men I know they have kind of two 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 ways to feel it's either being happy or being angry and the mm. and they've they've learned that the, the, that's the only tool that they have in their top toolbox to respond to stress or anxiety because they've never seen it modeled a different way like what, what would you say I guess to the dads and the friends and the women out there who see this playing out in the men that they love and like how how would you help them to unpack that so that I guess they can model better behavior not just for each other but for the next generation mm, I guess that's as adults where the self-work comes in I think we all have a responsibility to work through our shit and to um, go see that psychologist if that's what you need to do or to read that book about you know that Brene Brown book or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, to start picking but I, I laugh but it's it's serious it's serious work and it's she's something amazing. that I can do she is yeah <laughs> We like yeah, Oprah she's, Day. She's like she's she is ev- everyone. Everyone, everyone, like we we laugh about her. And we're like, oh, go see Brene, haha. But also, everyone should see Brene. Everyone, <laughs> she's <Yes>. amazing. <laughs> Just go watch her TED talk. Your mind will be blown if you haven't. Mm. There, it's it's wonderful. But I think doing that stuff so that we can um, sometimes. When I was writing Me Time, actually, I was combating this idea in my head that um, self-care was selfish and that doing, like, taking out, you know, hours of my day or time for reflection was a selfish act. But actually, I think um, until we do that work and get closer to ourselves and get more, I guess, balanced and stable in our sense of identity and being, like, we, we can't actually be that much help to other people. So doing that work with ourselves so that we can show up and facilitate those discussions for our kids um, or the young people in our lives or just the other people in our lives. Like I often try to model, like start talking about how I'm feeling and sort of use certain words so that the people in my life feel that they have permission to do the same and that they're also learning at the same time how to, to do it too, how to unpack or um, like, I don't know. I'll often use myself as an example to help someone get to a place and unpacking in, in their mind, if that makes sense. I'm kind of yeah, it that. does. But, it's um, such good yeah. advice. It's such good advice. It's, it, it's cre- in, in that way, just like you're talking about like young boys needing a safe space, you're just creating a safe space within that relationship that you, you know, with that person that you're talking to. It's like, I feel comfortable enough with you, please, and I feel, I feel fine to talk to you about this tricky bit in my life. Please feel the same way. And yeah, then especially, especially with blokes. Yes, because you're removing the shame from it. You're going, I'm yeah. saying this and I'm not ashamed. It's, it's Brene Brown work. It's like, <laughs> I'm not ashamed. I'm going to be vulnerable. And you know what? Yeah. That means I'm giving you permission to be vulnerable too. And then we feel less alone, which is, I think, the main thing that humans want to feel is feel less alone in their complicated feelings and experiences. Um, and like being vulnerable with your kid, I think would be really important too. I'm conscious that like I'm not a parent, so I don't know the practicalities of this. But I know when my parents have been vulnerable with me, um, it's I've just felt less ashamed. I felt understood. Um, I've respected them more. So yeah, I think that's kind of the starting point, I guess. And checking in on one another, particularly now, I think oh, particularly now under the crunch and. Um, yeah, just starting those conversations where it be now on Zoom. <laughs> um, mm. You know, just making Anything. them happen. 
Well, mm. Jess Sanders, you have been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for coming on to Good Sheilers and for sharing your wisdom, which is well beyond your years. Claire and I look like, like we are four turning five next to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So... I, this is just we, um, such a such a such a gift, Jess. Like everything that came out of your mouth was just like a pearl of wisdom. And mm. um, yeah, frankly, we should probably swap one of us out for you in the podcast because um, that was three therapy. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was great. But thank you so much, and we wish you all of the luck during your time at you, in your yeah. delicious farm or wherever you are. And <laughs> we um, we will speak to you again. And just shout out quickly to Jess's books. They are magnificent. They are available in every good bookstore. And I've been lucky enough to read an early version of um, her new book coming out. And it's just phenomenal. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And it will be just a gift to the next generation of little boys who need these messages. Thank you both. Um, It was really lovely to come on. I've been enjoying the podcast in my own on my walks, um, laughing with you guys. Um, Yeah, so I'm sorry if I was like, I'm a bit more of a serious person. No, it's as funny as you guys are. But um, it was awesome to chat with you. And um, yeah, and thank you, Claire, for reading that advanced copy of Be Your Own Man. I'm going to be opening up pre orders for it. I think maybe next week or something. So maybe when this episode's live, I'm not sure. Um, But yes, it's coming into the world. In lockdown, but and where can um, people we'll get those best. advanced? When can people get those? Where can they get those advanced copies or pr- um, order them? The pre-order ones um, on my website, which I will send you ladies a link to because it's okay, not live. Okay, <laughs> but when it's ready, I will send it to you. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Thank you Jess. Thank you, Jess. Thanks, guys, we've been good shielders.